sermon, I would just encourage you to have your Bibles open in Acts chapter 18. Because that's going to give us a little bit of background we need to to get an idea of, of what this book is about and where we are going with this. Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians to a church that he loved, a church that he'd spent a lot of time with in its early days. In Acts 18, the passage that we read earlier, we read that Paul had came to Corinth and it was on his second missionary journey. His first one, he didn't go there. His first one, he spent time in Cyprus and then most of his time in Turkey. And then his, his second one, he went a bit further afield and he went into uh, Greece. He was spending some time in Athens, a bit further north of Corinth. And then when we pick up the reading, we read that he went down to uh, Corinth itself. This was around about 51 BC. So you can just think that the church is very new. Jesus is not long. Sorry? AD. AD even. Yes, BC would be impossible. <laughs> AD. 51 AD. That's in this time of our Lord. Uh, and so he drops down from Athens uh, to Corinth. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his reaching out, he had, he had some, some techniques, he had some things that he did. And every time he went to a new city, the first thing that he would do is he would target the Jewish people. I think they were sort of the soft target to start off with. They were the ones that would, would know him or maybe have heard of him. They were the ones that he would feel comfortable arguing with, those that had at least the Old Testament scriptures. But that's where he went first. He would start working with the Jews and, and speaking with them. And there were already some believers here, it seems. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were there. They, they had moved there. And it's really interesting what is said here. Because Priscilla and Aquila had to leave Rome. Verse 2 of this chapter 18 of Acts, it said that Claudius had commanded that all the Jews to leave Rome. And right now, there's just a little mini point that I want to make. God's plans are the best plans. God's plans are the best plans, even if we don't see it at the time. And there's quite a few people here in this room right now, yeah, not because this is their first choice, not because this is what they wanted, and some of them it's actually because some authority told them to get out of where they were, and that's why they're here. And we have to remember that, that God works in his own special way. God sent Priscilla and Aquila to this city of Corinth by what we'd say a strange providence. I'd imagine they had a home in Rome. I imagine they had a life in Rome. I imagine they were all set up in Rome. And I imagine they did not want to leave Rome. And yet, an official says, you've all got to go. And they had to go. And you can imagine the long walk that they had, the thousand-odd miles from where they were in Rome to this new place, and you can probably think, hear them say to themselves, God, why have you done this? Why have you done this? What's going on, God? Out of in control, we're in a lovely house, and now what? God's plans are the best plans. And even if you might be thinking, what am I doing in Cyprus now? It's because God has a plan and a purpose 
for you here. And it will be to his glory. And it will be to your good if you're one who loves him. Because that's what he's promised. And you see, they, they came there and they met with Paul and everything changed. And it was, it was amazing what went on. God's plans are the best. And so Paul, within the context of God's plans, has his own plan. And his own plan is to reach the fellow Jews. And he went to the synagogue, and he, he speaks with them in the synagogue. And in verse 6, it says, And they welcomed him with open arms, and they all became believers. Just seeing if you're awake. It doesn't say that, does it? It says they opposed him and reviled him. There was Paul in his plan. This is the thing to do. I'm going to go and speak to the Jews. Uh, and they opposed him and reviled him. Now, what did he do? Did he go home and suck his thumb and say, that place is awful? No. He, he changed his tactics. And a house church was started right next door to the synagogue. He, uh, it says in verse 7, he left there. He left the synagogue. Okay, you're going to laugh at me. You're going to laugh at God's word. You're going to revile him. He said, that's it. Be upon yourself. And he left. And he went to the house of a man called Titus, Justice, a worshipper of God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. So just as God's plans are the best plans, secondly, a little point here to start with, we need to have flexible plans. Our plans need to be flexible. Paul thought, I'm going to go to the synagogue, I'm going to work in the synagogue, I'm going to preach the gospel in the synagogue, and it wasn't working out, so he needed to change. And he went there. And he changed his tactic. And he went to this house that was next door to the synagogue. And it became the first house church. And we read here in this passage that God worked. God worked powerfully and mightily. And even Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue and his whole family and others came to faith. So they stopped preaching at the synagogue. But the people from the synagogue that were there were touched by the power of the Holy Spirit and saved. And many others came to faith. And they were baptized into the local church at Corinth, and it was an exciting time of growth. It was an exciting time of growth, and things were going great. And then Paul has a strange message from God. In verse 10, he's told, Do not be afraid by the Lord. Go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You see, another little point here is God knows what we need and when we need it. Yeah? Paul was there and, and things were going great and there's an exciting time of growth and, and God says to him, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And in that time, we realize that there was a period of persecution. And God knew that's going to happen. But God was preparing Paul for it. God knew what he needed. And when he needed it. And he told him beforehand not to be afraid. To carry on speaking. There were going to be many in that city. And we know from the passage that he stayed there for a year and six months. Teaching the word. And at that time there was a, this, this time of persecution. The Jewish leaders got upset with him. Maybe they got upset with too many people getting converted. And leaving the synagogue and following Christ. But they had an attack on Paul. They tried to get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. 
the Jews of that day were very sneaky. They couldn't do anything themselves, but they thought, we'll get him in trouble. We'll get him in trouble. We'll get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. And the Roman authorities said, no, it's not, it's not our issue. It's not our problem. And so the, the Jews took things into their own hands, and this guy was beaten up outside the, the authorities' offices. And so there was a time of persecution. But God had prepared them for it. God had told Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Keep here. I have many who are in this city. And sometime after that, many days after that, Paul went on to Antioch. And so this was probably the longest time Paul stayed in this particular church. He put a lot of effort into it. God had told him to be there. He'd seen it grown, uh, growing. And, and so he leaves an established but young church. And although he leaves them and moves on, he still takes them in his heart. You see, he has a huge pastoral concern for this group of believers. And even though he leaves them and moves on, he keeps on getting messages about them and hearing about what's going on. And he has a concern for them. And he has a concern because he's like a father to them. He's a a pastor to them. He cares for them. He's seen them born into faith. He is excited about what's happening. And, and so it's out of this pastoral concern that he writes to the church at Corinth a few years later, around about 55 AD. That's 55. So it's probably three or four years later. And in that same period of time, he's traveling around the, the, the region and, and he's hearing from others what is going on and what is happening. So it is Paul's letter to this church. And it's Paul's letter as a pastor, as someone who was there at the beginning of this church. And it's to the church at Corinth. Now, the the ancient city of uh, Corinth is no more. And I think it just helps us here to to have a picture of, of where Corinth is, so we have Greece over there, Turkey there, and then Corinth is just down from Athens here. And if we go to the next picture, we can zoom in a little bit further, and we can see that Corinth is here, and it's this very important region. There was a port here, and another port there. And this was the Asian side, and that was the European side. And, and that is where uh, the city is. And, and there's a museum on the site of the city, the museum where you saw all those statues without their heads. And, and it was a city that had great wealth and, and great decadence. And there's lots of historic records that tell us a lot about Corinth. So we get the letter of Corinthians, but history books give us a lot of insight. And I just want to take a few moments to, to see some of the things from the history books that will give us some insight to what's happening at uh, Corinth at this time. People living in Corinth are called Corinthians. And, and the Corinthians had a well-documented reputation in the first century. And when you go through the history books, you can find out about their reputation. 
Aristophanes, uh, a historian of that time, he, he made a particular verb popular. It was koronezo. What it means is to act like a Corinthian. But actually, there was an undermeaning to it. To act like a Corinthian meant to commit fornication, to be sexually immoral. These people were known around the ancient world in the first century as being immoral. And if your parents said, stop behaving like a Corinthian, you didn't know what they meant. They were fornicators, that they were sexually immoral, and everyone knew about it. There was to Corinthiaize, that, that was another popular Greek word, and that basically meant to go to the devil. If you were Corinthiaized, you were going off to be the devil. It was a place where much wickedness happened, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a moment. You see, Corinth was this crossing point between Europe and Asia. Corinth was the capital of the Roman province. It was a midpoint between Rome and Jerusalem. And pretty much all the trade and all the travel went through this area, yes? Uh, Constantinople, Istanbul as it was, wasn't the popular crossing point at that time. This was where the crossings happened. This is where everything went through. This was the crossing point between Asia and Europe. It's the, the midpoint between Rome and Jerusalem. It had two ports, as I said, one on the European side and one on the Asian side. And in that narrow uh, strip of land, which is uh, about three and a half miles wide, they made a roadway so that the stuff could come off the ships, go across and get put straight onto the ships on the other side. And there was lots of trade going on between those two ports. Masses of trade was done in that region. The region itself was, was, was well watered, uh, it was fertile, and it was really, really wealthy. And so this trade of the two ports there brought great wealth to the region. And that brought great opportunity. And so people would go to Corinth to seek their fortune. People would go to Corinth because thought, this is a place I can get money. This is a place I can set up in business. I think if Nigerians travelled in those days, that they wouldn't be going to the Londons of the world. They'd be going to Corinth. That was the place to trade, yes? That was a place to do your bakery. That was a place to do your taxi driving. That was a place to start off in business because your business could grow in, in that environment. Because of the, the location that it was in, it was very cosmopolitan. There was lots of Jews there. There was Greeks there. There was Romans there. And it was, a, as I say this, it was the uh, capital of the province of, of Rome. And uh, a lot of the, the free men from Rome would go there because it gave them opportunities that Rome didn't give them. In Rome, the freemen weren't the elite, they, they weren't the privileged, but if you went to Corinth, you could build yourself up, you could get into society, you could get yourself wealthy, and, and there was lots and lots of opportunity there for people. And so they went there to make money. And if a city is making money, and if people have got lots of money, they're spending it. And if people are spending money, then there are others trying to get that money. And so there was a lot of luxury lifestyle in, in that city. 
big villas, big mansions, lots of goings-on and selling. Uh, you, you can imagine that the shopping malls would have been all high-end stuff, wanting to, to grab people's money, wanting to give them opportunity. And another historian of the, of the time is quoted in saying, not everyone is able to go to Corinth. And basically what he was saying, it was, it's too expensive for a lot of people. It's somewhere you couldn't actually afford to be. Not everyone can go there. It, it's, it's an expensive place to be. There's so much luxury. It's not for everybody. It, it's, a, it's an exclusive place. And then also in Corinth, there was the temple of Aphrodite. I don't know if you've heard of Aphrodite, but you should have, because Aphrodite, according to myth, and I wish Lemmy was here because he likes myths, <laughs> but the, the myth is that she was born out of the sea into Cyprus, and she's a goddess of love. And her temple in Corinth was served by a thousand plus temple prostitutes. This is where the whole reputation of sexual immorality comes from. The city was renowned for these temples. That was just one of them. There's lots of them. That was the main one. Uh, and these temples were served by prostitutes who served the, the wealthy, the powerful, and, and they frequented them. And even now, some of the names of these prostitutes have been recorded 2,000 years ago because of the, the, the wickedness and the sensuality and the evilness of what they were doing was, was documented. And everyone knew of Corinth as being a sexually immoral city. It was pervasive throughout the city. It sort of went through the DNA of the city. And so this was a city that gave opportunity to get rich quick. It was also a city where you could lose money fast if your business deal didn't work out or if you bought the wrong thing. But you could get whatever you wanted whenever you wanted it. You could have sex at any time. You could eat, drink, and be merry. There were all these temples for the worship of different gods, but particularly Aphrodite. And then every two years... The biggest athletic event of the ancient world happened there. You've all heard of the Olympics? Well, second to the Olympics, every two years, was a big athletic meet that happened here. And so that would bring in masses of people and wealth. And it was a city where you could climb the, the Roman political ladder and make something of yourself. Corinth offered pretty much what any modern-day city is offering now. I'm going to say this. Corinth is Lefkosia. Or Lefkosia is Corinth. You don't have to go far out to see this whole thing, do you, of people wanting to get rich quick. You don't have to go far to see people losing money fast with hippie bet and the, the gambling and the casino. You can buy whatever you want in Cyprus. Tragically, you can have sex whenever you want. You eat and drink and be merry, and there's the worship of all things that are not God. And so, friends, this book is so important to us because we are living in a time 
which is no different to where that church was placed. It was in this messy, godless city that God established his church. And it's to this church that Paul's writes in verse in, 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 in the beginning of this book. He says to the church, verse 2, to the church of God that is at Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Friends, we have to remember this, that God establishes his people and his church even in the messiest of environments. Corinth was messy. And, and the church at Corinth, yes, there are lots of problems that need serious attention. And a lot of people think of the book of Corinth as a, as a book to the, 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 the struggling, problematic church. And yes, we will see that. But, but Paul doesn't start this with a flogging of the people. Can you imagine if Paul was an African mother or father? Would the letter start like that? You'd hear the letter before it arrived, wouldn't you? That'd be kind of what was going on. You'd know you're in serious trouble. But here is Paul, and reminds them, and reminds us that this was his church. These people are the people of God. It is his church. And I gave this this sermon title good corinthians and you might be scratching your head and think i don't think the corinthians were good but let's listen and see what this first nine verses says we need to be encouraged by this you see amongst all the sin and all the debauchery and all the iniquity of corinth there was a church and it was a church of god god's church was planted there God, in his sovereign plan, brought people from different places and planted his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And friends, as this church survived in that time, we can survive as a people of God, even in Lefkosha. You see, these people have got five headings I'm going to quickly wrap up with. Well, I say quickly. Ten minutes. These people were called of God. Called of God. First main heading for these nine verses. Called of God. To the church of God that is Corinth in verse 2. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those in every place. Who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. You see, we have to remember this letter is going to be hard-hitting. This letter is going to say some tough things. Before they could hear the tough things, they were reminded. They were reminded of the fact that God had called them. God had chosen them. There were the church of God there because of what God had done. He called them to be saints. He called them to be those that would be sanctified, set aside in Christ. 
And I think this is an amazing fact, isn't it, for these people? It's a fact that gives them both hope and motivation. Hope because they're called by God. Motivation to be sanctified and to be the saints that God has called them to be. But also there's an element of condemnation here. Because as we go on and read this letter, we have to ask ourselves a question, are they living like saints? Are they living like people who are being set apart? And God is saying, despite how they may have lived on occasions and the sins they've gone through, these people are my people. I have called them. And so there's, there's hope and motivation in this statement. But there's also condemnation. If, if you Corinthians are truly like Christ, why are you living like that? And we have to ask ourselves this question of application as we go through these first nine verses. And the application I want to ask you is, are you living like you've been called by God? That's the standard. It's God's church. God has called his church. He's called his church to be saints, to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be different from the world. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, as we've been called by God to be his church here in Lefkosha, are we living like that? What is the world's nickname for us? Do they see us as a light in the darkness? Or do they just see us as a strange bunch of people who do weird things? Do they realize that we've been called by God? Is that how we're living? And so the church at Corinth were called of God. The second thing we see that is of God's grace. The grace of God. Verse 3 and 4 open this up to us. Paul goes on and says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 4, he goes on and says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds these people that they've been called of God. And he reminds these people that they are God's church because of his grace. That grace was seen in Jesus. And he thanks God for it. He realizes that the Corinthians would be hopeless without God's grace. And it's the same reality for us. We here in Lefkosia would be hopeless without God's grace. He says there in verse 3, he wants them to know grace and peace from God. We can only know peace from God if our sins are forgiven. And the only way we can know our sins forgiven is if we know the grace of God that sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world. To die on the cross and to take the punishment of the sins of his people. That's what grace is. Grace is Christ paying the price for the sins of his people. And, and these people at Corinth, they, they, were, they were Christians. And they were Christians because of God's grace. And they were at peace with God. Not because of what they could do. Because they couldn't. Not because of how they were great Christians, because they weren't. They were at peace with God because of the grace of God shown through the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be at peace with God without God's grace that deals with our sin. That sin that destroys and keeps us from God. And so just as these believers at Corinth knew God's grace, the 
the application I want to make with this point is a question again. Do you know God's grace? Do you know your sins are forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross for you? Is that your own personal reality? Do you know Jesus is your Savior? Do you know God is your Heavenly Father? Not because of anything you could ever do, because you can't, but all because of what God has done for you through Jesus, through this grace that he showed. See, the Corinthians were a church because God called them. The Corinthians were a church because of the grace of God. But because they were a church, they also had a testimony. And we see this is our third point, a testimony for God. And we see this point, a testimony for God, in verse 6. Again, he's speaking about them and says, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. You see, we can read the book of Corinthians, and sometimes we're tempted to think there were rotten, awful sinners doing horrendous things. How could this be a church of God? But we're told here that they were a testimony. Despite their failings, despite their mess-ups, they were a testimony in the city. They were a testimony of salvation. We read in Acts that many of them were openly baptized. They changed from going to the synagogue to going to the the, the church together. The the, the Greeks and the Romans that came in, they would have been changed. There were people that were involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. And they were changed. And yes, there were some issues of sexual immorality within the church, but on the most part, they've been changed, they've been saved, they've been saved from what this town and city was all about, and they've been changed, and and there was persecution. Persecution only happens when a church is alive. A, A dead church is not persecuted. A live church is persecuted. A living church is persecuted. These people were different. And, the, and those around about them didn't like it. And the devil didn't like it. And so they were persecuted. There was an open testimony. And, and this fact, again, gives them both encouragement and condemnation. Encouragement that they are a testimony. Encouragement that they are Christ. And encouragement that people are seeing something of Christ through them. And condemnation because when they look at the rest of the letter they say, oh, our testimony is not as good as it could be. Or should be. And their, their, their testimony at this moment was about Christ. But as we read this letter we see on occasion their testimony wasn't so good. And so by way of application, on this third point, what is your testimony? If you say that you are a Christian, is your life lived out for Christ? If you've come into membership of, the, of this church at LPC and go through the waters of baptism or come in because you've been baptized somewhere else and you're saying to everyone around, I am a member of this local church, what is your testimony? Do people see you as someone who is Christ-like? Do people see you as someone who is fair, who is righteous, who is humble, who is kind, who is gentle, who is all these different things? What do people see in you? What does your testimony point to? What is the testimony of this church? Do the people know this church is a place of God? Or do they just think of it as that's what those Africans do? That's what those weird English people do? What is the testimony of LPC. You see, they had a testimony, and their testimony was about Christ 
and it was confirmed and seen. Is your testimony, your personal testimony about Christ? Do people see something of Christ and his goodness in you? Do people see something of Christ and his goodness with us here at LPC? They had a testimony. But also we see they had gifts from God. Our fourth point, gifts from God. We see this in verses 5 and 7. In verse 5 we read of something of the gifts that they had. A part of them. They were enriched in all speech and all knowledge. And you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge in verse 5. So that you are not lacking any spiritual gift. The, 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 the Corinthians were blessed. They were enriched. They were enriched in him. They, they had blessing of speech and knowledge. They had this blessing and this gift that was given to them. I think something's interesting here, that all speech and all knowledge go together. So if you're looking for a soundbite tip today, a word of advice, only talk if you know what you're talking about. That's just the side. But this was Paul speaking. When he spoke to them, he spoke to them and, and he gave them all knowledge. And when they spoke and witnessed themselves, they had speech and all knowledge themselves, and they had a gift, and they were blessed in this way. And, and they were told that they were not lacking, and our translation here in the ESV says, any spiritual gift. And if you look in the New Living Translation, it says, any spiritual gift. But if you're looking in the AV, or the uh, NKJV, or the NIV, or the ASV, it just has the word gift, and there's a little bit of a tension there between translators some feel that it's just referring to the gift of God's grace in general and then some translators believe it's talking more of, of spiritual gifts in particular well I'm not going to get into that debate I'm not going to get into that, that, that but I'm going to say a couple of things we need to note at this stage the gift of grace saves Spiritual gifts do not save. So, so there's, there's a really important gift that we all need. That's the gift of grace. We need salvation, but spiritual gifts don't save. The gift of grace makes us a part of the church. And spiritual gifts are used for the blessing of the church. So the gift of grace saves, spiritual gifts do not save. The gift of grace makes us part of the church. Spiritual gifts are better used for the benefit and the blessing of the church. Now spiritual gifts get a lot of attention in this letter later on. There's a few chapters dedicated to them because they are being abused. And so this is warranted. There's a telling off and there's an instruction about it. And Abusing spiritual gifts means you get a telling off. But friends, abusing the gift of grace means a lost eternity. This morning you've heard the gift of grace. This morning you've heard that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and yet God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to bear the sins of his people. 
And God's word tells us graciously that if we call upon the name of the Lord, if we repent, if we believe that Jesus did that for us, we shall be saved. That is the gift of grace. That is the gift of grace that these Corinthians had at the base and the foundation of their church. That is the gift of grace that is at the basis and the foundation of this church 2,000 years on. Is it your gift? Is it the foundation of your life? Because it doesn't matter how many spiritual gifts you think you have. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a waste of time. The only thing that really matters at this stage of foundation is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. Now thankfully many of these Corinthians knew Christ and knew that gift of grace. And thankfully through God's grace many of them also knew spiritual gifts too. We're going to learn more about them later. But the big application I want to make now is abusing the gift of grace means a loss of eternity. As you leave here today, you're going to leave under the comfort and the hope of the gift of grace. Or are you leaving not knowing Christ as your Saviour? And fifthly and lastly, there is a hope from God, a hope from God that these Corinthians had. And we see this in the second part of verse 7 to the end. For as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What an encouragement. Here Paul is saying to these Corinthians, you will be sustained to the end. You will be presented guiltless. And as we go on and we see some of the things that these guys have got involved with, that's wow. This church that's messed up, this church that's living in a messed up world, God has got his hand upon it and he has called it and he's covered it in Christ's grace and salvation and they will be sustained to the end. They will be helped through the mess and the muck of living in Corinth. And they will come out at the end and there will be trophies of God's grace and they will be presented to Christ Jesus spotless and guiltless. And that should make us say, wow, this is amazing. How does this happen? And it happens because God is faithful. It's not because of them. It's not because of what they did. It's because God is faithful. And as we go through this letter, as we see the mess that they're in, as we have some light shone in their darkness, as we go through it, we remember that even though they are a church with serious problems, they have hope. They have hope because God is faithful. And friends, that's the application for us. In the mess that's North Cyprus, in the horror of sin-ridden Lefkosha, in the guiltiness of your own heart, in the imperfection of this imperfect church, there is hope. There is hope because God is faithful. 
And each one of you here who know that gift of grace, who are saved by his grace, you will be sustained to the end. No matter what you have to go through, you will be sustained to the end and you will be presented guiltless to God. Because God is faithful. What an encouragement this is to us. And I think what a letter we've got to read. Because as it maps it out, this is how we can carry on being sustained and what we can look forward to. Because God is faithful. Amen. 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 I'm going to uh, close in prayer. And we're not going to sing our, our final hymn because of uh, time. We can do that on another occasion. Uh, but I would encourage you to join us this evening on Zoom so we can talk, we can discuss, and we can pray this in more. And remember and delight that we have hope to be sustained to the end and presented guiltless because God is faithful. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've answered our prayer and how the Holy Spirit has been with us and helped us.